Well, welcome back again, everybody, to episode nine of the Eyes on Iowa podcast. I'm always one of your co-hosts, Quinn Douglas, and I'm, of course, I'm joined by our association. They try to pair up the, the, the teams in the playoffs. Normally, they're not, you know, the, the state goes in ways that sometimes make you look, what in the heck were they thinking with that? So we'll start off with Class A. As we take a look here, I, you know, you got the Carter, you got the District 1 through District uh, District 8, I believe. District 1 through District 8 here. So starting off District 1 in Northwest Iowa, then 2, 3, 4, kind of go clockwise around the state. So the one matchups I have, the matchups I have on the one line by uh, Portland Melvin. Hector's looking at Shaw sure. over the middle, touchdown, wide open. Was he- did, I, did I do that or was that, or did you do that? I think Carter didn't realize he – I don't think Carter had his stuff muted. I was hoping that wasn't me. And uh, so, anyway, to get back uh, as I got sidetracked there. So, our, our, our one our one line, Hartley Melvin Sanborn from D- District uh, District 1, District 2, West Hancock, defending state champions. District 3, Gun- Grundy Center is on the one line. North Lynn from District 4 on the one line. Columbus Community on the one line from District 5. Limbo Sully, the champion from District 6, 8, JSTW, champion from District 7, and Woodbury Central, the champion from District 8. And in order, I have North Union as the four uh, against HMS, BCLUW against West Hancock, Grundy Center versus South Winnesheek, uh, North Lynn versus Wapolo, Columbus Community versus Belle Plaine, Limbo Sully versus Earlham, HSTW versus Westwood Sloan, and Woodbury Central versus South O'Brien for the one versus four line. For District, for the two versus three, I have Lamar's Galen hosting Tri-Center Neola, Mason City Newman hosting Nashua Plainfield, Wapsie Valley and St. Ansgar, East Buchanan hosting Lisbon. That could be a really, really good game. That might be one of the best games in Class A in the playoffs in the first round if that does come to fruition. Alburnett versus Makokota Valley, My Madrid Tigers hosting Southwest Valley, which used to be Corning and Villisca. Mount Air hosting Ogden uh, down at Southern Iowa and the Logan Magnolia in hitting rounding out. Uh, the uh, two versus three matchups in Class A, and tell you what, there, there's a lot of matchups like that. It's chalk uh, that, that could be pretty much chalk, Carter. But I look at you know, a couple games. You know, I mentioned East Buchanan versus Lisbon. That'd be a heck of a ball game. Mandarin Southwest Valley, I think, would be a pretty good game. And uh, just looking at the one v four line, there's really not a matchup that stands out too much to me. There's not really that loaded of a district in uh, Class A like there are some in one A and two A that really stand out to me. Yeah, you know, I feel like now that they've moved back to um, the system where four teams from each district make um, make the playoffs, that it kind of it, it makes that one versus four game oftentimes a blowout. Um, yeah, and I, I'm I know you kind of feel the same way about it too. That I, I I'll just say I, I'm not a fan of it. I never have been. Number one for the athletes because when we were in high school, we were still playing nine game, nine game regular seasons, and then we you know the turnaround to go play that next Wednesday and then play the following Monday and then play that Friday, just wasn't safe for the athletes whatsoever. And like and like you mentioned, it makes up for a lot of, uh, it makes up for a lot of uh, blowouts in the first couple of rounds. But the state has has alternated a little bit, you know, narrowing the schedule down from nine games to eight games does make it safer because then everybody can play on a Friday, so it does line up in that regard so it is safer uh when it comes to that topic but still i, I you know I, i'm not a fan i think there's a lot of participation trophies that come out of that uh for four teams making it out of the, each district we'll move on to, to a district to a class that carter and i know a little bit more about we got class 1a here 
So on the one line, the one versus four matchups here in four that I have West Sioux versus MVAO COU South Hamilton. They're going to win the district two. Uh, they blew out South Central Calhoun Carter. I don't know if I texted you this. They beat South Central Calhoun 62 to eight. Wow. When's the, I, I couldn't tell you the last time I saw a team beat South Central Calhoun like that. And I know I texted you a trivia question, Carter. South Hamilton okay. ran for 500 yards on South Central Calhoun. The last team to do that was Madrid in 2014. We actually installed a new play that week in practice. I remember vividly uh, going over it with Coach Ankle, and it, it ran wild that night against South Central Calhoun. So, uh, yeah, that that's just something. You don't see South Central Calhoun get beat like South Hamilton beat them. But that, that happened on Friday night. That, as I tweeted out, that's your <clears throat> that's your score in class one day that makes you go, wow, that was that score on Friday night. Dyke New Hartford versus Beckman Catholic, which I think might be the best verse, one versus four matchup in any class, in class 2A through A. That is a matchup. Beckman Catholic is, is every bit as good as a one seed as I have seen. They've just run into some issues. I know they had some kids suspended for good conduct policy. They've had some injuries as well. MFL Marmac South Harden is one before out of District Four. West Branch maybe could be a lot of teams' number one team in the state going forward. They host Pleasantville, Sigourney Kyoto hosting Iowa City Regina in another really good one versus four game. Van Meter hosting Eagle Grove, Underwood hosting West Central Valley, and then the two versus three line: Western Christian versus Trainer, South Central Calhoun, and I thirty five. Appington Parkersburg and Cascade, Columbus Catholic and Denver. Mediapolis hosting Central Decatur, Pella Christian hosting Durant, ACGC hosting Woodward Granger, and Carol Kemper hosting Emmitsburg. And Carter, you know, like I said, for his, maybe not as endearing the, the one versus four line was for Class A. For 1A, there are some really good one versus four matchups. Two that stick out on the page, that jump off the page of me right away Dyke New Hartford, Beckman Catholic, and Sigourney Kyoto versus Iowa City Regina. Yeah, those are both the ones that, I, that caught my eye as well. Um, honestly, I feel like those are, might even be better than a lot of the two V three ones that I'm kind of looking at here as well. But yeah, that's just sometimes the way that it gets seeded out. <laughs> well, and when you, when you've got a loaded district, like district five, West branch, Minneapolis, Durant, and when Iowa city Regina is the, is the fourth seed, that is, that just doesn't happen very often. And then of course, district four, MFL, Marmot, Columbus, Catholic, Cascade and Beckman Catholic, Beckman Catholic for, I think, I, at least one week, they were the number one team in the Radio Iowa poll in Class 1A. But like I mentioned, they've had suspensions. They've had injuries. Things have kind of gone off the rails for Beckman Catholic. But I don't put them past – I don't put it past them to beat a Dyke New Hartford team that has looked vulnerable at times this year uh, here out of Class uh, Class 1A District 3. I know they lost to Grundy Center in uh, out of Class A, and this was thought to maybe be a down year for Grundy Center. But they're looking like – they're going to win their Class A district. So that was really a matchup that intrigued me. And as I look for, this, for the two versus three line, a couple of them that jump off the page to me, Abington Parkersburg, they've had a resurgence. I know talking to some coaches around the state uh, last night, they said that, that AP has actually gone back to the old offense. They ran at Ed Thomas, and it's no surprise that it's being run with success. Columbus Catholic versus Denver. Columbus Catholic looked like they may have taken a step back this year, but that's a really intriguing two versus three game. And then Pellet Christian versus Durant. Durant has got a Nolan DeLong, who is one of the maybe one of the best athletes in the state of Iowa, regardless of class. That is a two v three matchup that I'm really intrigued in. And then another one, Carol Kemper and Emmitsburg. That one kind of jumps off the page at me too. Yeah, I mean that those those are some pretty good matchups there. I I will will say that I'm interested in uh. 
especially seeing ACGC Woodward Granger there. And that's a rematch from a game earlier this year. Kind of a back and forth affair down in Guthrie Center. I tried my best to avoid rematches from the regular season, but that was the one I really couldn't avoid. And I tried, I tried to base this off geography, you know, the shortest trips or the trips that make the most sense for a lot of these teams. So Woodward Granger, ACGC was the one I just really couldn't avoid with Woodward Granger being in District 2, ACGC being in District 7. It really was hard for me to avoid because sending Woodward Granger to Pella Christian, well, then where do you put Durant? And then sending Woodward to Carroll Kemper when, you know, Emmitsburg is right there. I could see Woodward going to Carroll Kemper, but with Trainer going up to Western Christian, because uh, Western Christian having to play Emmitsburg in the district, it just made sense to send Emmitsburg down to Carroll Kemper and kind of have that return game there with uh, two versus three, uh, and, you know, between District 1 and District 8. So with that, we'll move on to Class 2A, That's and that's going to be more of the class I know a little bit more about uh, with me having some coverage there in Class 2A. Uh, so how I have it chalked up right now, the one line for the one versus four matchups in 2A, Central Line, George Lurock, and Clearing Goldfield Dallas. That's one of my area teams. Uh, Spirit Lake versus Unity Christian. Osage versus Union Community. Walk-On versus Clear Lake. Monticello versus Central Lee. Williamsburg taking on Comanche. Uh, West Marshall taking on Clarendon Green County taking on Sheraton. When I look at those matchups, Carter, I, I see a lot of chalk matchups. Two-way at the top is really, really good this year. It might be more top-heavy than it has been in recent years when you have teams like Central Lion, George Little Rock, Williamsburg, and West Marshall at the top. I, I also want to throw Spirit Lake in there. I've been doing a lot of prep for them. They're my game on Friday night, taking on Clare and Goldfield Dallas. There might not be a better defense in Class 2A than Spirit Lake. They have been tearing it up right now up in northwest Iowa. Uh, but, you know, I like a lot of those 1B sports like Class A. It's a lot of chalk I see in 1B4. Yeah, you know, hot take. I really think West Lyon, you know, if if it weren't for the district that they were in, that they could probably be a one seed too. And yeah. I, But I, I don't see them beating Central Lyon, George Little Rock, and they like, likely will have to play to get to the Dome. So. Yeah. Yep, and, and District 2 is every bit as tough as District 1 here in Class 2A. West Lyon, I have them really? taking on the three seed in Esterville, Lincoln Central, although that could very easily be – uh, that could very easily end up being uh, clearing Goldfield Dallas if Esterville Lincoln Central falls or somewhere down the line. I give ELC the nod because they do have a head-to-head win over CGD out of District 2. OIB, CIG, and Sheldon, I expect the Falcons to take care of business in that one. New Hampton taking on North Fayette Valley. That is an interesting one. North Fayette Valley's got one of the top rushing offenses in Class 2A. New Hampton was undefeated until this past week when they lost to Osage in a tough game up at Osage High School. That might be the best 2v3 matchup in Class 2A. Uh, that, that's definitely going to be one to watch. Dubuque Waller and Crestwood, that's another really good matchup out of Northeast Iowa. Another 2v3 matchup. Northeast Goose Lake hosting PCM. Mid-Prairie hosting West Liberty. Uh, Nor- uh, Roland Story hosting Red Oak. And Des Moines Christian hosting Centerville. Rounds out those two versus three matchups, Carter. Uh, like I said, those two uh, Northeast Iowa games, New Hampton, North Fayette Valley, Dubuque, Waller, and Crestwood jump off the page at me. Yeah, I, I I think there's some really good matchups there in 2v3. And what I did want to quiz you on, Quinn, is uh, what is the Estherville Lincoln Central mascot? Uh, they are the midgets. The midgets, yes. They are the, one of the most unique names and unique mascot names ever. Yep. <laughs> and I don't think the guys were – I think the story behind it was I don't think they were actually midgets. I don't think they were, like, you know, legally midgets, but I think they were all – I think it was some newspaper column, and the, the team was full of guys that were, like, 5'5", five, 5'6", five, 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 So they called them midgets. 
That's kind of what so, you did. That's kind of what you did back then. I know it's maybe not politically correct nowadays, but uh, you know, we're not we're not going to uphold the standards of today to back then because that's just not how it works. Uh, as far as you ask me, we'll skip class three A. There's really not a whole lot going on in class three A that really stood out to me. We'll go to class four A. Uh, that's the class that uh, one of my area teams, Webster City, is in. So as I have it, the pod seating it's more geographical. It really doesn't matter what you know what the sister district is. It's more a geographical. And especially with how much more spread out 4A is based out of the metropolitan areas and maybe some of the bigger, you know, old school farm towns as well. Uh, pod one, I have Waverly Shell Rock, who I think might be every bit as good as Council Bluffs, Lewis Central, hosting Spencer. I'll see Spencer. Or Spencer will be coming to Webster City on Friday night. I actually got done talking with uh, head coach Jim Ty up at Spencer. He was very, very high on this Webster City team coming out of District 1. North Scott hosting Cedar Rapids, Washington. Uh, as of right now, uh, I know this This is based off of varsity bound, not the RPI rankings. I'll have to go back and adjust this with the RPI rankings. But by, with the bout varsity bound ratings, Cedar Rapids, Washington makes it in as that last uh, that last seed out of Class 4A. Cedar Rapids, Xavier hosts Western Dubuque. Carlisle hosting Fort Madison. That could be a very interesting matchup, although Carlisle has shown they are a very, very good football team this year out of Class uh, 4A District 5, which is probably the best overall district in Class 4A. Pod three, I have Iowa City Liberty hosting Bondurant for R. That's a great matchup. Titus Cram, he uh, is an uh, Iowa target for for recruiting wise. Going going to Iowa City to play Iowa City Liberty, the Iowa staff, I can imagine, will get a good look at him for that game. Newt, talk about a team that's really surprised me out of District Four. They are six and zero right now out of Class Four uh, A District Four. They got a big win over Pella, and I know Pella's shocking. Pella's zero and six on the season, but they played perhaps the toughest schedule in the state of Iowa. Doesn't matter what class. Uh, they've had a really, really tough schedule. Newton hosting Indianola out of Class 4A District 5. I had Indianola as the odd team out out of District 5 when it came to the top two teams. In the pot four, I had Lewis Central hosting Mason City, Webster City hosting Glenwood. So those are that, those are my pod matchups. And Carter, I, I want to get your thoughts on what some of the more intriguing matchups are. I'd say I'm really intrigued on Iowa City, Liberty, and Bondurant. I think Bondurant's a really good team. Um, and... Yeah, that's probably the one that stands out the most to me. And then, I mean, I'd probably go with Cedar Rapids, Xavier, and Western Dubuque just because I I think that both of those are pretty good teams from Eastern Iowa as well. Yeah, those are some pretty pretty good programs out in Eastern Iowa. I think Western Dubuque, I think they're two or three years removed from a state championship. Had a little bit of a lull there, but it appears they're back on the rise out of a Class 4A uh, uh, out of uh, Eastern Iowa. Uh, obviously the favorite's going to be Lewis Central going into that, th- those uh, playoffs. They're showing again that they are a state championship caliber football team. As we go to Class 5A, now this is solely based off of RPI, and this is what I did. The RPI, the initial RPI ratings were released by the ITSAA back on Monday, so I did have a chance to go down and kind of I kind of divvied it up by tiers. And so there, there I have uh, four different tiers to look at. So these are the top four teams in 5A. These are the teams I look at as the top, five te- or top four teams in 5A. Below that, these are the district champions slash the best uh, two seats in Class 5A. So I would have Cedar Rapids Prairie here, Davenport West as well, uh, teams that could very well be district champions or could very well be the best two seats. And then there's Ankeny Centennial and Cedar Rapids Kennedy rounding out that tier. The tier below, the best of the two seats or perhaps or the, the, the best of the rest for the two seats. So I have Ames. So there's Ames High, Iowa City, City High, 
Waukee Northwest and Cedar Falls, who scored a big win uh, over Cedar Rapids Kennedy on Friday night. And then here's the, the the remainder of the teams that get in. Iowa City West at 13, Sioux City East at 14, Urbandale at 15, Johnston at 16. So the pods, they didn't really do it like one versus 16 or eight versus nine. I, I kind of made it a little more geographical, uh, but there is still pretty even matchups, I would say. Downey Catholic hosting Sioux City East. They're the 14th seed. Akeny Centennial hosting Waukee Northwest. Again, I try to make this geographically, kind of going Northwest Quadrant, Northeast Quadrant, Southwest Quadrant, Southeast Quadrant. Pod two, Pleasant Valley versus Cedar Falls. Uh, that I, I don't believe that one's a rematch, but Pleasant Valley has shown that they may be uh, the best team in the state of Iowa. Obviously, Dowling Catholic has an argument, as does Ankeny and Southeast Polk. Uh, Cedar Rapids Kennedy taking on Iowa City City High. That would be a really, really good game out of pod two. Pod three, Southeast Polk versus Johnson. I would not sleep on the Johnston Dragons. They are becoming a very consistent program uh, either on the north side of Des Moines. Davenport West and Iowa City West in pod three. Pod four, Ankeny versus Urbandale, which could be a better game than maybe some would think. And then Cedar Rapids, Prairie, and Ames will round out pod number four. Carter, what, what are some of your thoughts on some of these matchups or projected matchups? Well, Quinn, I'd start by saying – I feel like there is something missing on this list, and I'm curious if you can guess what is missing from just your list on the left of the top uh, 16 teams. I think I, I think I think I can figure it out because you mentioned it before. As of right now, West Des Moines Valley doesn't get in the playoffs. Yeah, right now, West Des Moines Valley is not in the 5A football playoffs. I mean, Quinn, when was the last time that we didn't see West Des Moines Valley in the high school football playoffs? Well, now I'm going to go look it up for you. Yeah, I, 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 intrigued. <laughs> I am like actually almost in shock. I mean, from the time that we have been, you know, growing up as 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 long as I can remember, when, yeah, you know, watching when we were kids. Valley was better than Dowling. Yes, yeah, and Valley I mean, was beating Dowling consistently. Yeah, I, I've grown up to just being used to Valley essentially being, you know, Alabama and. I know Dowling kind of is that now, but I mean, yeah, yeah it, wow, that it, that's just shocking to me. And I do think that maybe they could make it if they went out and Waukee Northwest probably loses one, mm -hmm. but because Waukee Northwest also, I believe, has three, yeah, they're three and three as well. But yeah, and it, um, it, you know, RPI just like the old RPI used to be for uh, the NCAA basketball, so it's. Your record, your opponent's record, and your opponent's opponent's record, which all plays into it. Yep, yeah. I, I guess I could see Waukee Northwest losing to Ankeny, um, which could knock them out as well here. But, yeah, I, wow, that that's just shocking to me. <laughs> yeah, now, I, now I'm now i going to pull up the football record book and, and take a look. Uh, the last time we didn't have how many playoff appearances West Des Moines Valley has had, I could probably find it at least – it may not. They may, this may be the first time they've ever missed the playoffs under Gary Swenson. I could I could be wrong about that. Uh, so let me see if I can pull this up. Here I've got the the uh, I've got the uh, uh, Iowa High School Athletic Association record book uh, website pulled up here. That's not going to do me any good. I got to try to find the see if I can find the. Co maybe coaches. Oh, here we go. State postseason qualifiers. This will tell us. This is the key right here. So 2021, 2020, 2019, 2018, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, the last time they won a state title, 10, 09, 08, 07, 06, 
holy cow, we are going way back here. Uh, they made it to the playoffs every year of this century. Now we're going back to 99, 98, 97, 96. 91. Last time West Des Moines Valley did not make the playoffs was in 1991. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. Just to give you an idea, that was when my uh, alma mater of Madrid won their only state championship. My dad graduated high school two years before the last time West Des Moines Valley failed to make the playoffs. 31 years. Wow. And that's a heck of a streak. Mm. And they went, you know, they went, especially under Gary Swenson, you know, three championships in four years, and they won two more championships, one in 2008, one in 2011. And like I said, they were the team in the Des Moines area, and then it was Dowling Catholic. And now it's looking like that may be shifting to either Ankeny or uh, Southeast Polk in the Des Moines area. So it's really interesting, really fascinating to see the change of, all right, who's the new power now? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. It's, I, it's almost like college crazy. football. It's almost like college football where it's kind of rotated every 10 years. You know, 10 years ago, it was USC. It was Texas. It was Florida. And now it's Alabama. It's Georgia. You know, and, 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 you know, 10 years before the 2000s, it was Nebraska. It was Florida State. It was those schools that were the powers. It's really interesting to see the, the change in the guard of the powers, especially in Class 5A slash Class 4A before it was 5A, uh, to see what those – some of those uh, big, big, the changes in those powers were. So I know that was kind of a long segment, but I, I felt like, you know, with playoffs coming around the corner, uh, it was a good time to stop and, and share that. So with yeah. that, we'll move on to the college ranks. And uh, first we'll, we'll, we'll touch on Iowa and Michigan. Carter, you were at the game. You know, it, when it was going on live, it felt like everything was going wrong. It felt like nothing was going right for Iowa. You know, the penalties, the offensive execution, the defense not being able to get off the field. But now the further and further we've gotten away from the game, Carter, the more I've been able to look at it from an unbiased, you know, even keel level, uh, just analyzing the game. There was that, I, Kirk Ferris was right. There was actually a lot of growth from the Iowa offense in this game. The defense, unfortunately, they could not get off the field against a very good Michigan offensive line. But the Iowa offense, there was a lot more growth than that. what was perhaps thought of during the game on Saturday. Yeah, you know, I I actually think that the Iowa offense looked improved and that if the defense probably would have gotten some more stops in that first half, that it, it might have been a closer game in the end. Um, the, the defense couldn't get off the field for the first time. And J.J. McCarthy, you have to give credit to him. He took care of the ball. And Michigan, I mean, they they really took control of the game early by just – not giving any plays to Iowa. I mean, I swear every every first down they had a yard, they had a run for six to eight yards, and I mean, it Iowa just did not force a lot of third downs early. And I mean, Blake Corum, oh my goodness, he That's is good. an incredible running back. I mean, twenty nine carries, one hundred thirty three yards, a touchdown. I, it felt like he was running. I mean, I know he only averaged four point six yards per carry, which is you know that is pretty solid but i swear it felt like you know in the stadium that he was getting 10 yards every carry just by how quick he was and i mean man he he also just hits the gap quick and he it, if you give him time he gets upfield and i mean they also got some other other really good players on their team too i mean the hawks did kind of keep ronnie bell in check which i i did think was a good thing but yeah it just it wasn't a game that 
you know, I really felt good about our chances right once we got to half, which is kind of sad when the score was only 13 to zero. Yeah. But the, the offense hadn't gotten anything going in the first half. Um, and then they finally actually started looking good, you know, in the in the start of the fourth quarter. Yeah. And I really thought that, you know, they, they were going to have a chance there, but they just couldn't execute when they're in the red zone. And it, it just wasn't it wasn't the game that. I think we were both hoping we would see, but at the same time, Spencer Petrus, I mean, he had what I thought was probably his best game this year. I don't know if you'd agree with that, Quinn, but oh, I, mean, I, I agree 100%. Yeah. I agree 21 100%. for 31, 246 yards and a touchdown. Um, I thought he, he was throwing the ball really well too. And yeah, I mean, the tight ends looked great. Um, Luke Lachey, especially. So Yeah. <laughs> It would have been nice for Iowa to get the ball out of half, or they did get the ball out of halftime. But Iowa, it felt like maybe Iowa. Now looking back in hindsight, who knows? Maybe Spencer Petras gets more time on those opening plays in the second half. Maybe, maybe it's different because he looked really comfortable throwing the football. And I think it chalked it up to he figured out Michigan's zone coverage schemes. And once he figured that out, he started picking apart Michigan. You know, were they simply the guys just where the weak the holes were in the coverage? And you, that's when you saw Iowa start moving the football. And, you know, going up next week here against Illinois here on a Saturday night over in Champaign, it's going to be – I think it's going to be imperative that he's able to do that maybe quicker than he did uh, this this past weekend against Michigan. And even when Iowa felt like they were gaining momentum on offense in the first half, they're – it get wiped out by penalties. And not just penalties, borderline phantom penalties, if you ask me. Oh, goodness, Quinn. I, I had a lot of time to calm down from the game on Saturday, but – there, there were, and they weren't calls that ended up affecting the outcome of the game. I mean, no. Iowa beat themselves, um, but I mean, they were frustrating penalties where you'd think that Iowa is finally getting something going and the offense is getting into a rhythm, and then there's just a flag on the field, and they're like, "Where, where did this flag come from?" Yeah, and it wasn't. Think, nothing was obvious. Yeah, and and now I have even more empathy than I already had for Iowa state fans and some of the calls <laughs> that seemingly go against them with the big 12 refs, because there were some tough calls in the game, but again, just like Iowa state and Baylor, I didn't think that the, the refs, you know, had an effect on the outcome of that one. And they didn't have one this week either. Um, as frustrating as it can be yeah. as a fan. I never think it, they impacted the momentum. I have no problem saying that they yeah. impacted momentum of the game. Uh, but Iowa had their chances. Like I said, Iowa converts that fourth and two there inside the Michigan 10, and they get first and goal, and they score a touchdown. Maybe Iowa wins that game. Who knows? Um, but I, you know, the, the the one penalty that drove me nuts, and it's going to drive me nuts to the end of time. Actually, there's two. Number one, the clipping penalty on Connor Colby. I could I can't tell you the last time I saw clipping called in a football game. I, I could not tell you the last time I saw a call in the football game. That was ridiculous, number one. Might I add, it was also in the free blocking zone. Number two, and we're going to call unnecessary roughness for Logan Jones finishing, pardon my French, finishing a goddamn block. We need to go to in touch. I, I'm tired of it. He finished the job. He finished his guy. As an offensive lineman, I'm furious at that call. That is what your coach do. Every offensive line coach will give you a 10 out of 10 for finishing the block on that play. I mean, it was like Michael Ward taking the guy to the bus. You're going to call excessive blocking, make it two-hand touch, get the referees out of here, and, you know, get new referees. I, I'm just – I'm livid. 
and that call really didn't have any effect on the game because Iowa still scored a touchdown on that drive. But it's just the fact that we we can't even have someone finish their assignment and just bury a guy in the ground on the offensive line without it being called an unnecessary roughness. And you know what's bad with Kirk? When Kirk Barrett is calling timeouts to chew you for making horrible calls, that's when you know you're screwing up. Yeah, that that was one of the worst refing crews I've seen in an Iowa game in quite a long time. It's been a and, long time since it's been that bad. Yeah, and I it it was just it was tough because you you know on on that play that you're talking about too on on the penalty on Logan Jones. I mean, I was legit worried that the the Hawks weren't going to score on that drive because of that penalty. Um, and I thought like at the time I was like, oh my goodness, they keep calling these when, you know, they think we're going to score kind of thing, but it's just, you know, that's just the way it goes. But also Iowa's offensive line, while they did have those two blocks, you know, that were very good plays that should not have been penalties. I mean, the offensive line just still does not look where they should be at this point in the season. I mean, we we're really, I agree. Yeah, I mean, shoot, the final drive – well, not the final drive, but essentially the last meaningful drive that Iowa had, Connor Colby got – the right tackle got beat three three plays in a row. And, I mean, you just can't have that happen. I mean, I I know that Michigan's got some really good players on their defensive line, but, I mean, it's also not Aiden Hutchinson there anymore. So, I mean – David Hutchinson or David Ojagbo. Yeah, but – I still I thought that Caleb Johnson I mean the stat sheet doesn't really show it but he had, he did look really good again and he he looked like Iowa's best running back and Lashawn Williams there. looked good I thought Lashawn yeah. Williams had some times where he looked good on Saturday too yeah and I it's also funny because you know Gavin Williams is still listed as the um, number one running back and yeah. I I at this point put zero stock into the Iowa depth chart that is. And, uh, and I think where that, where that comes from is that I think he's still dealing with uh, some lingering issues from the injury he had at the start of the year. I think, and I think it's a soft tissue thing and we all know how, how just how annoying soft tissue injuries can be for football players. So I think that's why we still haven't seen as much as Gavin. I think Kirk Barrett's made it sound like we're going to see more of Gavin coming up Saturday night over at Illinois, <clears throat> but that remains to be seen. And uh, Illinois, I tell you what, we're, we're getting, I was getting Illinois to, Pretty, I'd almost say good time. They're coming off a huge win against Wisconsin, where they were really, you know, stating this is the team we need to beat to be able to compete in the West. And then, you know, obviously we'll, we'll touch on what's happened in Wisconsin in a little bit. Uh, but it almost feels like you can catch maybe Illinois on a bit of a bit of a uh, decline when it comes to emotion. But we'll obviously touch on that in a little bit. <clears throat> but I do want to say I do want to give Michigan a lot of credit because Michigan's game plan was run the football, play it safe in the pass game, avoid a turnover. And that's exactly what they did. They came out and executed their game plan. And you know what? As good as they executed their game plan, it's not sack. Folks, I I want to speak to the Iowa fans and listen to this. Folks, it's not sacrilege. It's okay to criticize the defense. The defense isn't untouchable. Yes, I know they are one of the best units in the country, and deservedly so. They have been fantastic all year. But just because – they are working their butts off and the offense isn't able to back it up. Doesn't mean you still can't be critical. The offense hadn't even taken the field when Michigan took the opening drive 75 yards and scored on the opening drive. That's on the defense. You can't blame the defense being tired for that. 
the defense had to be better on Saturday, and they weren't. But the, you know what the thing is? The defense knows they had to be better, and they're going to take responsibility. I expect them to come out and play well against Illinois. And, Quinn, I feel like Iowa fans, I, I know they're frustrating me just so much, at least the vocal ones on Twitter, because they seem to want the offense to suck. They, they just want to. They want the feather in the cap to say, "I told you so." We're terrible. It doesn't, you know, just to make, to, just to be able to tell Kirk Ferentz that. Yeah, and and the crazy thing is that I I agree a hundred percent. Like that, they almost think that you know the defense is untouchable and that 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 you know and, and they are great. The defense is great, and Phil Parker, Phil Parker is great. But I think you can also. I I feel like people almost want to pin like you know, Parker and Kirk against one another and say like, oh, Kirk's the one bringing us down. You know, Coach Parker's always got this incredible defense and we're wasting it every year with Kirk's old offensive mindset. And it's just, it's frustrating because, I mean, yes, the Hawks are three and two. And at this point, we were hoping they would be either four and one or five and oh, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. and it, with, you know, all the hype coming into the season, uh, we really thought that that was going to be a possibility, especially with home games, you know, against Iowa state and Michigan, which they lost. But I mean, people, I see people on Twitter literally calling for, you know, Kirk to be fired. And it's like, what, what are we thinking here? And then even more, I, it's frustrating seeing people say like, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about Wisconsin here in a second, you know, fall firing their coach, but people are talking about, Oh, Wisconsin, you know, they're a program that has guts yeah, for firing their, their coach. And even I, I saw uh, Chad Lysico talk about how it, it, I forget the exact quote, but essentially he, he was saying that, that like it was a tough decision, you know, for these two programs, Nebraska and Wisconsin to fire their coaches. Well, first off, Nebraska, I mean, that can't be. That tough wasn't tough thing. at all. That needed yeah. to happen. <laughs> yeah. And then second off, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what uh, happens at Wisconsin. But I mean, oh, my goodness. It, for people to think that, you know, I for Iowa to compete that, you know, four Big Ten titles and national titles that getting rid of Kirk Ferentz is the answer. I mean, no, and Iowa isn't meant to be, you know, one of a top four team every year. If you really think about it, there's there's four top teams that are probably going to be running college football for a while. And And right now it's three. It's really three teams right now. The fourth team can be interchangeable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd say, you know, my argument would be Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia and Clemson. Those four teams are just going to be there. And I mean, we saw Clemson had a down year last yeah. year. No, and Clemson's not necessarily doing the best this year either. I mean, they're eking out wins, but yeah, they don't look like the dominant Clemson in a bowl. No, it, it, and then I, I feel like everyone just keeps firing these coaches, thinking that they can get into that group. And I mean, we've seen at Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher. I mean, everyone thought that he was going to be their savior there, and I mean. They just – they already have two losses on the year. I mean, who is Iowa going to hire that is going to do better than Kirk Ferentz has with what he has been given? I mean, Iowa's a higher away from being Purdue where the ceiling's eight wins. Yep. And, I mean, I, I think people take for granted that eight and nine win seasons in the Big Ten are pretty dang good. 
and they're pretty hard to come by. Yep. Very, very hard to come by. And just, you know, and it's one of the things that just reminds me of, you know, the Iowa fan base, they're so rabid with their passion that sometimes for some coaches, they can't handle it. Uh, Lute Olson is a prime example. Got Iowa to the final four in 1980 and the pressure just mounted and he couldn't handle it. Couldn't because, because there, there, there was so, there was so much pressure and it was, he, they, they couldn't handle it. And people say, well, he should toughen up. No, that's not, that's not how that works. That when, when you can take a, there's a ceiling for every program, Iowa, you know, Iowa wrestling, the, the sky is the one for Iowa wrestling. That is a different world. Football. I think we're seeing what Iowa ceiling can be eight, nine, 10 wins a year uh, under Kirk Ferentz. Every once in a while, maybe, you know, you're in the big 10 championship. Maybe you're in the talks for the playoffs every once in a while. And that's a big, maybe. And I think a lot of people are having, are having this skewed view of, of reality because it takes one higher. And I was back in the dark ages of the sixties and seventies where, you know, they're not making bowl games. You know, they're one higher away from being Nebraska. And quite frankly, Wisconsin, if they don't get this higher right, they could very easily be Nebraska. Yeah, it's it's just in, it's crazy because, I mean, it, I don't know if it's just these times or what, but I thought that you brought up a really good point when we were texting. You were like, I really hope the Iowa fan base doesn't, you know, do what they did to Tom Davis. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We saw what happened with, you know, the fans. Obviously, we were, I mean, infants when that happened. But, you know, we've heard stories that, you know, Iowa fans wanted more. Davis delivered a Sweet 16 out the window because he was spending his time coaching. and Didn't bother to recruit, nor would I if I were in his situation. Hire Steve Offer. Thought he was going to be the savior. Turns out he's uh, about the – he's the basketball Words. equivalent to Scott Frost. Um, he's the basketball equivalent to Scott Frost from a morality standpoint. Did actually win a little bit in Iowa City, and then there was the the Todd Licklider error. And Fran is, you know, we give you know people give Fran a lot of crap for not making the second weekend, but turnaround job he's had to do there. I would argue it was a tougher turnaround job than maybe you know than Fred Hoiberg had at Iowa State, and even more so than than a lot of Power Five programs because. For a while there, under Licklider, I I would say Iowa was probably the worst Power Five program in the country. Oh, one hundred percent. And I mean, I I feel like people are forgetting how many years in a row Iowa didn't make the NCAA tournament, to where it almost felt normal that they weren't going to it. And now that they're going every year, people are like, oh, they're I the Hawks are losing in the first round every year. You know, fire Fran. I mean, we're that close again in basketball as well to. Yeah, you know, a, a wrong, now, a, a wrong firing to being a you know again back in the dark ages of yeah. Iowa basketball as well. Yeah, I will say, contrary to popular, contrary to what maybe a lot of people would believe, I think Iowa basketball's got a higher ceiling than Iowa football because you look at basketball; it doesn't matter whether the weather is warm in basketball. Then that doesn't really matter. You're playing inside all year, uh, but you know you look at the recruiting bases like Chicago like the state of Wisconsin, like the Twin Cities, like St. Louis. And now, obviously, Fran has connections out in eastern Iowa. I actually feel Iowa basketball ceiling is a lot higher than Iowa football is. But, you know, competing in the Big Ten, that, that's a tough league to compete in and, and be dominant year in and year out. But hopefully, you know, maybe this is the year they turn the corner in the tournament. Who knows? We'll have to wait and find out. So we'll get off the Iowa topic. We'll come back and preview Illinois a little bit here in a couple of minutes. We'll talk about Iowa State and Kansas. Cyclones, they lose a heartbreaker 14 to 11. Special teams and offense were really the Cyclones' undoing. 
Iowa State really struggled offensively. Uh, Hunter Deckers was not great for the second game in a row. He looked like a kid that's in his first year as a starting quarterback in a Power 5 conference. As we dive in, 30 for 48, 287 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Iowa State had to abandon the run game pretty quickly. Jairal Brock, he is injured. They don't know what his status is going to be this weekend against Kansas State. Deion Silas and Eli Sanders had to take over the run game that was, you know, for lack of a better term, abysmal uh, for, for a bevy of reasons on Saturday. And you got to be, I, I do feel for Jace Gilbert, the place kicker for Iowa State, th- missed three field goals and the, what would have been also been the game winner. I still think that's the right decision to punt it in that situation, to kick it in that situation, to tie the game and send it to overtime, especially with how your defense had played against one of the best offenses in college football. That was a big positive in my mind was that the Iowa State defense was light, lights out against one of the best scoring offenses in college football in the Jayhawks. But that's that's a tough loss for Iowa State to swallow. And I uh, got to try to regroup, but you've got another tough test coming in in K-State on Saturday night, a really good K-State team, might I add, as well. And, uh, you know, just you, you got to try to find a spark somewhere offensively for Iowa State. Yeah, I mean, I was really impressed with Iowa State's defense. I mean, we we talked we talked about last week how Jalen Daniels is mm-hmm. you know a Heisman dark he at least was a Heisman dark horse. Um, you know, going into that game, and I mean, Iowa State's defense held him to seven passes for, or excuse me, seven completions. So seven for 14 for 93 yards, um, zero touchdowns. I mean, that that's that's a pretty good job on a guy that we were giving really high praise to. And I will say that once I saw Jirel Brock go down, um, I was really concerned whether Iowa State could still run the football. And I know Silas has some talent. Um, and I mean, we had talked we had talked about that earlier in the season as well, but I mean, Jairo Brock is just such a good running back that, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's definitely concerning, but holy crap, Xavier Hutchinson. I mean, let's talk about him. Yeah. Wow. He, he had a great game and I know he, he didn't have a touchdown, but I swear it seemed like the ball was in his hands almost every time that, that the Cyclones were passing. Yeah. He's that safety net for, for, uh, for uh, Hunter Decker's at quarterback, almost like, you know, how I, I guess Sam Laporte is kind of a safety blanket for 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 Spencer Petras, so on and so forth. Every quarterback has that safety blanket. That's what Xavier Hutchinson is for uh, for uh, Iowa State. And Demetri Stanley, talk about a guy came out of the woodwork a little bit. He's a guy I've heard. I've heard a lot of good things about him behind the scenes. Uh, a guy I talk to every once in a while, uh, Nick Osen, who, who is the site publisher for CycloneAlert.com, the 24-7 sports site, felt Dimitri Stanley could be a huge X factor for Iowa State this year in the passing game. He had a big game uh, on Saturday, five receptions, 81 yards, didn't quite get a touchdown, but really made his presence known. And he is a guy going forward. From what I understand, he's got world-class speed, and he could be a big difference maker for the Iowa State offense going forward. And I think they're definitely going to need him, especially against a, a physical Kansas State football team coming into Ames on Saturday night. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say, I, I, I guess we didn't predict Iowa state losing to Kansas obviously before the season started, but I, if I was an Iowa state fan, I wouldn't be mad about this loss at all. I mean, losing 14 to 11 in a game that I really thought that they, you know, should have won. I mean, I'd be upset that they should have won it, but Kansas is a good team. I mean, they, they, they definitely looked the part of a five and O team on Saturday. And I think Iowa state, you know, they're, they're going to come, they're going to come with a little bit of vengeance on the other Kansas team 
this upcoming Saturday mm-hmm. for uh, Farmageddon. Good old Farmageddon, K-State coming to town. And I'll tell you what, they got Iowa State's got to find a way to get a, get some wins somehow because as it looks in the schedule right now, um, I'm struggling to see where Iowa State gets six wins. Can you believe that? How tough this Big 12 is this year? This is ridiculous. You know, it's funny that you say that, Quinn, because I remember after them beating Iowa um, that I thought that maybe they could go, you know, eight and four. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you're completely right. I mean, Oklahoma State's going to be a tough one. TCU, I mean, wow, who thought they'd have been good this year? Yeah, they have turned it around quickly there down in Fort Worth. Oklahoma, still Oklahoma. I mean, I know they've, you know, not been looking great lately, but they're, they're still a solid program. And I mean, yeah, this Kansas State game is going to be pretty big on Saturday. And Texas, was, I think Texas will be fully healthy next week when Iowa State goes down to Austin to take on the Longhorns as well. And Texas Tech is no pushover. Now, granted, I would probably give Iowa State the win over Texas Tech because Matt Campbell has had Texas Tech's number in his time and aims. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think they beat West Virginia. I think they beat Texas Tech. Other than that, every other game is a toss-up. And Quinn, if you'd have told me that, you know, the Big 12 would be stronger top to bottom than the Big 10 this year, I, I'd have, if you said that before the season, I'd have laughed. I'd have yeah, thought no it was crazy. And I mean, the more we're seeing the Big 10 play play out this year, I think it's not, it's not even a question. The Big 12. No, not at all. So much stronger top to bottom. Yeah, but the, the one difference is that the Big Ten does have a great team, maybe two great teams in Ohio State and Michigan. I don't think the Big 12 has that yet. Oklahoma State is on the threshold. They're close. <laughs> I don't think they're there yet. Uh, yeah. If I you know, if I can get sidetracked here for a second, take a look at Oklahoma State's schedule going forward. They're 4-0, Mike Gundy. And we don't give enough respect to Oklahoma State and what Mike Gundy does year in and year out. I mean, Oklahoma State is, I mean, the Iowa State of Oklahoma – and Oklahoma State, and Mike Gundy has made Oklahoma State a perennial top 20, top 15 team. You take a look here at the schedule. They get Texas at home. They go to TCU in a couple of weeks. That'll be a big game. Uh, if TCU is able to uh, beat Kansas down in Lawrence, uh, they're up in Lawrence for uh, college game day this week. Uh, a little bit nice nugget there. But they host Texas, but back-to-back, as of right now, at K-State, at Kansas, back-to-back. I'll tell you what, if – Oklahoma State makes it through this October slate undefeated. I'll put them in that great category. That that will be my 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 uh, metric for Oklahoma State. If they make it through October undefeated, or even with one loss, depending on how they lose the one game, they're in my great category. Well, and it's crazy because I feel like we both thought that it would likely be you know Oklahoma or Baylor as the yeah. potential uh, you know playoff team for the Big Twelve and. If they keep beating up on each other like they are right now, they're I mean, not going to have a playoff. There's not going to be a playoff team in the Big no. Twelve. No, that's definitely how it looks uh, out of the Big Twelve. But we'll dive here into into Saturday's game first. We'll we'll take a look at Iowa State, Kansas State, since we're looking at Iowa State right now. Iowa State they won three out of the last four matchups in this series. They won last year, thirty three to twenty, down <clears throat> in Manhattan. A pretty convincing win for the Cyclones as uh, they've had Chris Cleman's number since he took over uh, in. Uh, in Lawrence or in Manhattan, excuse me, in Manhattan. But the big difference maker this year for Kansas State, Adrian Martinez transfers in from Nebraska. 
And, you know, he hasn't lit up the stat sheet throwing the ball 654 yards and three touchdowns, but he's been able to run the ball effectively. And he's had a lot of help from his running back, Deuce Vaughn, K-State. I definitely say they have one of the top rushing attacks in the, in the Power 5 conferences this year. Martinez, you know, 654 and three touchdowns through the air, 469 in nine touchdowns on the ground. Deuce Vaughn, maybe one of the most electric backs in college football. I look at this Kansas State team. Carter, this is going to be a re- another big test for Iowa State with another mobile quarterback in Adrian Martinez. Yeah, and it's crazy. Iowa State is playing another guy who likely could be a Heisman dark horse here in Adrian Mar- Martinez. I mean, he has looked incredible ever since that loss to Tulane early in the season, which, by the way, how did Kansas State lose to Tulane? I mean, they look so good right now. I just can't. It happens. Yeah, I, I college football. That's, yeah, that's college football. But I mean, wow, he he's rushed for over 300 yards and seven touchdowns in just the last two games. I mean, he's going to be tough for Iowa State's defense to stop. And I'm really curious if Orion Vance can uh, can lay a few hits on him and maybe make yeah. sure he doesn't come out of the pocket as much. But oh, and well, well, McDonald, that's a guy that's been really quiet for Iowa State this year. Teams have really put him in check, and it's really not even that Will McDonald's been held in check. It's just nobody, for at least on the defensive line, has really stepped up for Iowa State to, to become that second pass rusher that can make the plays when Will McDonald is doubled, and even in some cases triple teamed off the edge for the Cyclones. Uh, I, I got to check what the line is. I think Kansas State is a slight road favorite, uh, which does not surprise me. It might actually be more. It may actually be yeah, more. It's like Kansas State minus two. Minus two, so they're giving Jack Trice quite a bit of quite a bit of amp there, amplifying there for for that game. But I definitely think uh, it's definitely going to be a good game throughout. Obviously, you know, like you said, it's a rivalry game uh, for uh, for K State and Iowa State. And uh, like I said, wish I could watch it, but I got a wedding coming up on Saturday, so uh, maybe we'll wheel, maybe we can get some TVs wheeled into the, the old Hamilton County Fairgrounds. But uh, I, I don't think the odds of that happening are not very likely. I don't think. Well, you'll have to watch the replay of it because I mean, it it likely oh, yeah. could be a good one. And yeah, wait, it will. Do you, uh, do you agree with me here on this argument that I feel like Iowa State Kansas State should have a rivalry trophy? I almost kind of hope they don't. I kind of there's a lot of vitriol without a trophy. I almost like that better than having a trophy. All right, fair enough. I feel like Iowa State plays like no trophy games, and I feel like this. Well, they do well, outside the Cyhawk trophy. They don't. The other only other one they have was Mizzou, and yep. Mizzou's not in the big in the Big Twelve anymore. They have the telephone trophy. Yeah, I'd say the last key to Iowa State winning here is just uh, stopping the the Kansas State r- rush attack. I mean, Martinez and Deuce Vaughn, they're both really good rushers, and I mm. mean the the Wildcat O line has looked pretty dang good. So I'm interested to see how Iowa State's defense performs and. Obviously, they're going to need a little special teams, uh, a, a lot better special teams performance as well if they want to win, you know, some of these games that are going to be pretty tight, like I think this one will be. Yeah, so that game kicks off at 630 from Jack Trice Stadium. That's what will move things over. Iowa in Illinois as we take a look. Iowa, they've got a pretty long winning streak in this series. Iowa's won the last eight in a row over the Illini. Last time they lost, November 1st, 2008. Illinois won that game on a game-winning field goal. Hawkeyes, they've actually won now that I counted up here. Uh, we'll take a look. Iowa has won 13 of the last 14 matchups with Illinois. This one in Champaign. Illinois is actually a home favorite, which I don't think I'm surprised. I'm not surprised by that. I don't think anyone should really be surprised with what transpired last week with Iowa and with, with, with uh, what transpired last week with Illinois. 
Illinois has got a very, very good rushing attack, obviously, under Brett Bielema. Chase Brown is the leading rusher in the country this year. So far, 733 yards, four touchdowns for Brown. Tommy DeVito has been efficient as the Illini quarterback, over 1,100 yards through the air, nine touchdowns. Although, with this Illini offense, I will say, I don't think Illinois has played a defense as good as Iowa's this whole year because I don't think Wisconsin's defense, quite frankly, is all that good uh, from what we have seen in the pre in the games leading up to this. But this is going to be the first real te- the biggest test Illinois had defensively this year. Yeah, well, I mean, Illinois has what might be the best running back, you know, in the Big Ten West right now with Chase Brown, and I mean, he he looks really good, but again. You know, he, he hasn't played maybe the defensive uh, – play, played the defensive strength that, you know, some of the other running backs have. But, I mean, it's crazy, the Illini defense, too. Guess how many rushing yards that they held the Badgers to – held the Wisconsin Badgers to last week, Quinn? I'm holding up. Two yards. Two Ooh. yards. I mean, wow. That – and if, if their de- defense is as stingy as it looks like they might be, I mean – the Hawks are going to really need to have a good offensive performance to win this one because, oh boy, I, it's Illinois looks good. It, Illinois looks they look good. And I mean, Brett Bielema, obviously, you know, he's an Iowa alum. The guy has a Tiger Hawk tattoo. On his left calf. Yeah, on his calf. I mean, he's going to want this game probably more than he even wanted the Wisconsin one last week having been their coach there previously. I mean, I, I think this game means so much to him, and he's going to have his team ready, even if, you know, they're coming off of a high on, of a 34-10 to 10 win against, against Wisconsin. I mean, this is a really, really scary game as a Hawk fan, and I can't say there's many times that I've been scared of Illinois in my lifetime. I mean, not since, like, the early 2000s, and but, you know, back then I barely even – Barely even knew, you know, game of football. Back when Juice Williams was quarterback. Exactly. It's, yeah, and I'll admit, I'm scared of Illinois Illinois this weekend. It's going to be a battle. It is absolutely going to be a battle. I think the key to this game is going to be, can the Iowa pass, if if the Iowa passing offense, if they are able to throw the football and, and keep Spencer Peters clean and throw the football like they did last week, I will win this football game. I'll go, I'll take it to the bank. If Iowa can throw the football with success and defensively, if Iowa can force turnovers and, and get off the field, I will win this game. Uh, I will take it to the bank. If Iowa can throw the football effectively against Illinois, Iowa wins this football game. Yep. Yeah, I agree. So that is, I think that's going to be the, the big factor there. Obviously, the offensive line has to hold up. There's a lot of people that believe at least two of the guys on Illinois' defensive line our NFL guys are leader right now. Keith Randolph Jr., three sacks, six TFLs. A lot of people feel that he is maybe an NFL guy there on the defensive line for Illinois. I was going to have to keep that defensive line in check. But test out a secondary that maybe hasn't been tested a whole lot here this year. Yeah, and I, I'd say my my last things to say about this game is that I, I just – I think that, you know, Iowa really needs to have their defense – like the defense – get some stops early. Um, and if they can't stop Illinois rushing attack, I think, I think really that they should try to force Illinois to throw the ball. Uh, that's really what I think they should do here because I mean, it, I think if Iowa can stop the run, maybe load the box a little bit it, that, you know, they have a good chance at winning this game, but 
We'll see, Gwen. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would agree 100% on that. If Iowa can find a way to take away the Illini passing game, they'll definitely, I think, have a chance to do some damage. So that's going to do it for Episode 9 of the Eyes on Iowa podcast. Of course, we'll be back uh, recording next week, and we will be without Carter. He's got good old uh, what he called Hell Week next week. Yep, yeah, I, I'll, I'll be missing this next week, but there's legit no way I would have time to do it. We have Hell Week. It's four exams in five days, um, and they aren't easy exams either here. So, <laughs> so you want to be a dentist. Yeah, but two weeks two weeks from now, I'm sure I'll have plenty to talk about. Oh yeah, and we uh, I do have two people lined up for the podcast. We're gonna have three people on the podcast uh, on next week. I'll let you folks know this weekend who they they are going to be. So oh, man, I'm uh, I'm excited. I don't there. even know. Man, I'll probably tell you once we get done. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a little cliffhanger for you folks. We'll let you folks because I'll see these two guys this weekend. So. That's going to do it for us here on episode nine of the Eyes on Iowa podcast. For my co-host, Carter Coppinger, this is Quinn Douglas signing off, and uh, I will talk to you folks again next week.